Film Society of Lincoln Center. You're listening to The Close-Up. On the show this week, we're sharing a conversation with Dutch provocateur Paul Verhoeven, whose latest film, Elle, opens in select theaters this weekend. On the occasion of the release of Elle, we're celebrating Verhoeven's 40-plus year career with a complete retrospective. Total Verhoeven will feature hits like Basic Instinct and Robocop, misunderstood masterworks like Showgirls and Starship Troopers, and rarely screened early Dutch films like Business is Business and Spetters. The director will be in person for Q&As at select screenings. We also just announced that Gina Gershon will join Verhoeven for an extended introduction at the November 16th screening of Showgirls, and Casper Van Dyne will help introduce Starship Troopers on November 15th. Head to filmlink.org for more information. Elle, featuring a brilliant performance from Isabelle Huppert, was a main slate selection in the 54th New York Film Festival last month. During the festival, Verhoeven took part in one of our HBO director's dialogues where he joined NYFF Selection Committee member Dennis Lim to talk about making films in different countries, his approach to satire, and his experience working in Hollywood. Let's go now to their conversation. So I think most people here haven't seen Elle since uh, the first screening is tomorrow. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the film, but I think we won't get into too much detail so as to not give anything away. Um, but I thought maybe you could start by just talking about this being your first French film. Um, your career up till now is sort of more or less evenly split between Holland and Hollywood. Um, what was it like working in France for the first time? Uh, it was wonderful, in fact. I mean, of course, I was very scared because of language and culture. Um, so it took me some time to adapt to uh, to making a film in a language that was really not mine anymore. But you were fluent in French before? Oh, yeah, I had project. been living in France when I was 17, but that is 60 years ago, so <laughs> not much of that was left. And so I went to a crash course, um, French, and uh, for a week. And then um, I, I jumped into the, into the water there. So it, it went very well, you know. I think um, doing the f- directing in French for a crew of 40, 50 people um, gave me a lot of respect because I didn't force all these people to speak English. I mean, so I felt that it would be strange to force an, an, a, a French crew that basically, yeah, of course, they speak Fre- uh, English to a certain degree, but to force them really to speak French, uh, to speak English. And so I, I, th- I thought that I should force myself to speak French. In, in some ways, I think it's fitting that you ended up eventually making a film in, in France. Um, the French critics um, have always been, I think, very supportive of your work, even many... Showgirls, yes. Yes, yeah. show, showgirls in particular. I think I was going back and sure. looking at some yeah. of the reviews. The French uh, were the first one to see that it was a, a masterpiece, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it took the rest of the world a while to catch up. Cahiers du cinéma, Jacques yes. Rivette. Yes. Yeah. But um, I think one of the interesting things that... One of the things that struck me about Elle was that it didn't undergo this um, sort of delayed process of appreciation which some of your other films have been subjected to, like Showgirls and Starship Troopers. And if you look at Elle on, on, 
on paper or even or even on the screen, uh, it's a film that could be looked at as quite provocative, and it has the ambiguities of your other films. Right. But in Cannes, I think people were very willing to engage with those complexities and not attack the film, which I think could have been. Possible. Yeah, so uh, probably the film uh, turned out to be a bit different than um, than if you read the script. I mean, as you know, we tried to make this movie in the first place uh, in in uh, United States. I mean, that was our first uh, idea. And so I uh, started to work with an American scriptwriter, David Burke, uh, to write a script that were, uh, were the, uh, uh, the French uh, film was a film it was based on a French book and that was situated in Paris. And so we translated or transformed everything into uh, a st same story, but situated in Chicago or Boston or something like that. And <clears throat> that script was written, and then we found out that neither from a financial point of view, uh, say like a co-production or whatever, uh, but especially from an artistic point of view, it was absolutely impossible based on that script and people reading that, that script to, um, to find an actress, that, American actress, that wanted to do it. <laughs> it was, I, had, I didn't think about it at all at the beginning, but it turned out to be that way. We approached several of what you would call A-class uh, actresses, and there was a rigorous no. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, so, uh, did, were you told on what grounds? Maybe we should, people don't know, uh, L is a film about a woman <laughs> who, <laughs> I feel, actually, I think I should end there because I think that's maybe the best description of the film. Uh, 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 go ahead, it's also, go ahead. No, I think L is a film about a woman uh, who, among other things, is dealing with the aftermath of a sexual assault. Rape. Okay, rape. Okay. That's the word, and uh, sure, and the, I think the problem with the with the um, with the reading a script, which is still <coughs> still not a movie, yeah? it's a blueprint for a movie, uh, but the third act of the movie, in an American way, you would have expected the, at the end of the second act, uh, the, the the man that rapes her is a mask, as a mask, so she doesn't know who does who did it. Uh, at the end of the second act, she finds out who did it. And then I think in American, let's say, um, cinematic thinking, uh, the third act would in general be about the revenge, isn't it? It would be now her basically punishing the rapist. She does not. She does something the contrary, in fact. Yeah. That was probably the problem, I think. Not so much, uh, of course, the rape is a uh, very, uh, important issue at the moment, isn't it? It's always in the, every day in the newspapers, but I think it was not about that. It was not about that. It was really about the lack of revenge that made uh, people hesitate or hesitate, uh, refuse to do it, yeah. Would you have made the same film th th in, in the US, do you, think? do you think? How do you think Elle would have turned out had an American actress said yes? In retrospect, basically, it should not have been, been done in the United States. When I see basically how this movie is now coming together in the French culture, and especially the presence of Isabelle Huppert, I think the presence of Isabelle Huppert, if you will see the movie, is really what makes it work. What makes you accept the strange road she takes.
because you believe her, because she's authentic, even if it's something that you would in general not do. With her, you believe her, and I think that is what she brings to the movie is so special and so unheard of and unseen that I doubt if if it, it could have been done, could have been made anywhere else than in Paris with Isabelle Huppert. So that's what I think now. But apparently, a year ago, I saw it in a different way. Yeah. Um, the this, uh, in terms of how the film approaches the subject of, of rape, um, I'm wondering if you gave a lot of thought to, I think your previous answer suggests that you did, to how rape is typically depicted. Not the act, the act itself, but how rape is situated within a narrative film. Yeah, but apparently the film is really not uh, jumping into the discourse about rape. No, I don't think your film does, but I uh, feel like, no. I don't, but I think, you know, were you thinking about how cinema deals with that? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> no, but like rape, rape, you see rape in okay. Like for instance, I think in, in Black Book, you're, I think it's a film that is aware of how the Holocaust is portrayed. And I'm wondering if, like with L, were you aware of how you, just just what you were saying about revenge? You know, like how rape generally. Well, I has, didn't think about think revenge. I read the book, and basically in the book there is no revenge. In fact, there is ultimately, you could say, there is divine revenge. If you want to, so. okay. I don't think we should. Yeah. But uh, but um, I didn't think about that really. Neither uh, when I was doing Black Book, I, I, it was the st a story basically, and I, I didn't try to uh, to say something specific about the Holocaust or something at all. I think that it was a narrative. Um, I don't think we want to give too much more away about Elle for people who haven't seen it. But can you just say a little bit about working with um, Isabel Isabel Huppert and how you know how do you how do you direct somebody? Like, like Isabel in a role like this, which is so complex in a moment-to-moment... You know, -moment, um. Saying nothing, <laughs> to be honest. I don't think we had any, any uh, dialogue, Isabel and I, about character or about psychology or about what the essence of the movie was or none. We were talking a, lit a, a lot about her dress <laughs> of the day, you know, that the color, how long, and all that stuff, the hairstyle, the color of the hair, I mean, how, how and then basically uh, the choreography of the scene, basically when she was among other actors, how she would walk and to the left and to the right and sit down and get up and not too fast, and <laughs> something like that. We didn't talk about, uh, we didn't talk about rape. We did it. She came to the set, we did it, we shot it. I said, well, this, that, so, boom, yeah. I, I mean, it sounds strange, but I trusted her completely. I've trusted her intuition uh, as a, I think as a, as a woman, she would anyhow more about her, her feelings than I do. And I let her go. I gave her all freedom possible and was often amazed by the intensity and the audacity uh, of her of her acting so, uh, often it was that I thought okay now the scene is done or the shot is done I should say cut and I could not say cut I could not because she was still continuing and continuing and all that stuff is in the movie so uh, it's it's it was as we as if we knew exactly what we are doing but we didn't have to talk about it in any way 
It's the truth, you know? And she will tell you exactly the same story. Is that how you typically work with actors, or can you only do that with Isabella Pair? <laughs> no, I think... That, uh, although I trust actors, of course, to know better at the moment of, of, sh of shooting, to know better how to express themselves than I do, you know? Of course, that's why they do it, and not me. I don't do it. But in, in fact, this was unique because I think, and I have seen uh, Isabel of Red, Isabel saying this, if we would have started to talk about the psychology and the development of her, well, there is no, not really development in this movie. I mean, this is not an um, absence of development. I mean, it, I think the person that you see in the beginning is as mysterious as the person they see at the end of the movie. I don't think you have any... You, She's authentic, you believe her, you believe in the character, but you don't, cannot really comp understand her completely. Um, just, just to come back, to, to move on to your, um, your other films uh, and to something we just touched on briefly with Showgirls, um, why, do you th why do you think it's taken some time for the culture or the critics to catch up with, with some of your films, um, Showgirls? Not, it's not just Showgirls. Starship Troopers was uh, a very misunderstood film, especially in especially in America. Um, and I think you know Robocop was I think read fairly superficially at the time, but I think this much more sophisticated takes on it have emerged. Um, why do you think it? Why do you think it's taken time? Yeah, <laughs> good question. <laughs> That's how you start something like that, isn't it? but. Uh, in all honesty, I'm guessing, you know, I think perhaps it was too... It was too cryptic, especially in the case of, of Starstruck Troopers. You could say that um, our political position was cryptic. Of course, I mean, we were trying to tell that these people um, with their nearly pseudo-fascist or Nazi uniforms um, and, and attitudes, uh, were perhaps your heroes, but by the way, they were also fascist. <laughs> that was the idea. <laughs> and that was uh, it's based on our battle, our fight with the, the novel of Robert Heinlein, because that is, in fact, pretty militaristic and even uh, uh, yeah, proto-fascist. And, uh, of course, we didn't want to do that, but on the other hand, we wanted to tell that story. So I think we've, we were really trying to tell the people that we, yes, of course, these are heroes, but, but. And I think that was not understood, you know. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, um, shots in the movie that I borrowed from a, a, a documentary film by Lenny Riefenstahl in the early 30s, uh, Triumph of the Will, which was basically about uh, the Nuremberg uh, 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 gatherings of Adolf Hitler. And I gathered shots. I was really trying to tell the audience or the critic or whatever, of course, I borrow from Leni Riefenstahl because I want to tell you that these people that you might like and that are very sympathetic, that are, are really sympathetic in some way, that you should not completely follow them. 
And I think that was used against the movie because that was in the eyes of a lot of critics. Um, it was like me saying, this is great. And I was saying, this is, but yeah, they are great, but the, the background is not so great. So I think at that time was not understood in any way. I mean, it was really uh, attacked and all, all over the place. And um, I was amazed, you know, because I thought I had been made it very clear that you shouldn't really trust them, the heroes. Well, that's unusual, perhaps, in American filmmaking, but that's what we tried to do. And uh, yeah, I have, took some time to, uh, to convince people that, it was, that there was an outer layer there, isn't it? How did you convince the studio to give you $100 million for that film? <laughs> well, the money, uh, basically, that we spent, and we didn't, I don't think they got it really back. No. <laughs> It's, it's interesting that you use the word cryptic because I think in some, many ways you're, you're actually a very direct filmmaker. And I, I, it's, I don't know that Starship Troopers is a cryptic film necessarily. Maybe there's just levels... Apparently it was at that time. Well, it? I, I'm, I'm just wondering if there's maybe just certain levels of irony that are more difficult to perceive. And also just, I, just the, the question of identification, which I think your films always raise, like how is the audience supposed to identify with the character? Well, I, I mean, you, you, you use the word uh, irony, but I mean, irony is a lost art, isn't it, nearly? I mean, irony is not well understood, it's not really functioning too much in the, in, in, in the, in the visual arts, um, and in the, even in the normal discourse. So, I think if you're ironic, you risk, of course, that people might take it, uh, might not see the irony, and if you don't see the irony, then of course it, it, it's a pretty brutal and in your face wrong. And so, um, but why it took so, yeah, I, I'm glad that, it that ultimately um, people start to see um, what it was really. I mean, how can you doubt it when you see one of your main characters coming in in a black Nazi uniform <laughs> and say, well guys, great, I mean, a lot of people died, but uh, uh, there was nothing we could do and, uh, and we sent you in again and you might die again, you know, uh, you, all your friends might die. <laughs> you would think that people would think, oh, oh but no, <laughs> they didn't see it. Uh, you had, I think, a, a pretty remarkable run in Hollywood um, from, you know, I guess, Robocop to Hollow Man. And um, can you say a bit about your... I guess, first, uh, two questions. First of all, I'm wondering if you miss anything about working in Hollywood. Sure, because uh, uh, there is an enormous amount of talent here. And, and uh, I think probably for me it was, when I came here, it was w wonderful to, to find out not, not only about uh, the talent in front of the, of the camera, but also behind the camera. So, of course, uh, you come in, in here into a kind of a, a, pa a, a paradise of, 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 um, um, of, of talent. And, uh, and if you cannot uh, make movies here anymore, it happened, of course, uh, um, in the, in, in the uh, last uh, 10, 15 years. Um, yeah, you feel uh, it's sad. Yeah, sure. 
and uh, of course, and then shoot. But then, of, when you go to back to Europe, and it works, then yeah, well, you live. You try to live with what's possible, isn't it? Mm. So uh, the opportunities that I got in Europe were, uh, let's say, m to me, uh, more interesting than what I could do in the United States during these last 10 years. So you think the films that you made in that period were, would not be possible in the Hollywood climate of the last 15 years or so? You, the, 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 the European movies I made? No, I mean, like the Hollywood movies that you made in the you know, 80s and 90s, would, no. they, they would not have been possible. No, I don't think you could do uh, Starship Troopers now. No, no. I mean, the, the, if, you, if, if you compare the, the, the new edition, the new uh, the, um, of Robocop or Total Recall, what, what is evident to me that all these elements of, let's say, irony and, and, and a light touch and a wink and this and that were all taken out. Yeah, if you see the, the remakes. In fact, I mean, it's straight on. And I think both stories are a little bit ridiculous, and if you take them completely seriously, I think then it's really horrible, you know? <laughs> so, so something is lost, uh, 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 perhaps not forever, but seems to be lost a little bit uh, uh, in Los Angeles, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I survived, you know, so I'm fine, you know, and if there would be an American movie that I like, I would immediately do it, you know, there's, as I said, there's so much talent here and, and people are so good. So um, it was wonderful to, to do it as long as I could and, and if we can make a, perhaps I can make a comeback. <laughs> I, I heard somebody told me that Americans like success uh, somebody told me it was European, eh? so <laughs> he said Americans like success, but if you fall down, eh, you go down, that, that's even be better. <laughs> but the best thing is coming back. And I think that's probably true, you know, and that's not true for Americans, for everybody. I mean, there's something beautiful in coming back. So if you have a good project, yes. So um, maybe let's move on then to what? was at the time perceived as a big failure, your biggest failure, Showgirls. Um, this, you mentioned Jacques Rivette um, in, in his, uh, he had a great line about this film, which I think you're probably familiar with, where he talked about how Showgirls is about surviving in a world populated by assholes. And that is, and he identified that as your philosophy. Um, and, and applied to, it's a line that could actually be applied to quite a few of your films. Well, there are a lot of assholes, yes. <laughs> uh, this, this species is not, um, not completely okay, huh? I think we, I think we agree. I, I say, can you put some question marks behind the, the animal human? <laughs> um, no, I think yeah. the, 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 the talent for violence is staggering, yes. And basically, we see that every day, of course. Yeah. So um, I don't know if uh, what Rivet said of road is fine, but um, because in fact everybody in Showgirls is kind of not okay. Yes, the, even the main character, of course, is 
is sometimes really cruel. Yes. And and the only the only one good good person that is her her girlfriend Mo, Molly basically and then she get she gets the one she's the one that gets punished so um, it's it's all characters are kind of um, yeah a lot of negativity but it's a very cynic movie I think yeah. But it's Vegas, huh? It's one of your most realistic films, wouldn't you say, Showgirls? Yes, it's the one that uh, uh, we did an enormous amount of research for Showgirls. And I certainly didn't uh, do any research for uh, Starship Troopers or whatever. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but no, we went, uh, uh, the writer, Joe Esterhaus, and I went to Vegas uh, for, for weeks and weeks to talk to everybody. We talked at 60, 70 interviews with dancers and, and, the, and the, the producers of the shows and everybody that was there. And I think a lot of the things you see in the movie are based on these interviews. So it was, it's certainly the most realistic movie that I made in the United States, yeah. But uh, on the other hand, of course, what we did is making everything hyperbolic, you know? Everything is over the top. They act over the top, the colors are over the top. The, the lights are over the top, the movements are over the top, and I'm not sure that that was really a good decision. That might have alienated a lot of people, but everything is so, uh, is, is pushed. Yeah, I thought Vegas is like that, and we're going to use that as an, a style element. Yeah, even the camera is always moving, and this and that, and such and so. And so, so um, perhaps that was also, uh, let's say from a, at that point for people here in the United States, um, perhaps it was also perhaps seen as an attack, an attack on the Vegas, where that would then be an attack on the United States. And Rivette would have, uh, of course, as a Frenchman, would have been really like that, yeah. Um, you were the, the first person in history to show up in person to accept the Razzie Award for Showgirls. Why did you do that? Do you still have it? The yes, award? yes, I do. It was, it was made, made out of clay, huh? <laughs> and painted in the color of gold. But I have it, yes, yeah, sure. And uh, I think that was a very liberating experience, in fact, <laughs> to go there. I mean, and it sounds funny what I say, but it is really, I mean, I've said that before, um, there is, of course, this uh, very famous words of uh, Jesus saying, if they uh, slap you on the right cheek, cheek uh, turn the left. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> and uh, I can assure you that Jesus was completely right. <laughs> because it started, of course, when I, I entered there and they didn't know I was there. Then they reacted to the movie. They showed parts of the movie and they were all yelling and screaming and <laughs> like that. And then at a certain moment when they realized, uh, then they say, well, and this, the, the worst director or whatever, um, there were seven, I got worst director, worst, worst uh, actress, <laughs> worst music, etc. So I had to walk forward, forward seven times to... <laughs> but they had only one, one, one of the, uh, one uh, resi, so I had to give it back. <laughs> <And> <laughs> and then get it again. <laughs> and I'm not fooling you, it's really true. 
But what happened is because I was there and because I came forward and speeched and whatever, they, uh, when, uh, when I uh, had to come forward again and again, they were so animated. Every thought was, everybody thought was so wonderful. And that felt, like I said at the beginning, it, uh, and you laughed, but it was really like liberating, like leaving everything behind me and saying, okay, it's done, the, the circle is, 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 is full, and, and uh, this is, it was, a, at the end, it was a wonderful evening, <laughs> I can assure you. <laughs> Everybody was happy, me too. What do you make of the, the afterlife of, of Showgirls in a way? I mean, obviously it's a film that has been, as I said, re rehabilitated, but I feel like the people who appreciate it um, today still, still, I assume, appreciate it for different reasons. I mean, there's some people who think it's um, a serious film, uh, and there are some people who read it more as a camp or a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's serious in a way that it is really telling you about a lot of people that are uh, unpleasant. I mean, it's certainly telling everything in Vegas is about money. In fact, saying more precisely, sex and money is the same. Sex is not for, let's say, for babies there, but sex is for something else. Sex is for babies, of course, too. We all know that, we don't say that, but evolution basically pushes us in that direction, you know? And we cannot, uh, and invented sex to get what they want, the baby. You might not believe that, but it's really how the evolution works, you know? It's Darwin. Uh, if I remember correctly, I mean, the, 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 the rape scene in Showgirls is, I think, the, the rape scene in Showgirls is even more, I think, upsetting and troubling than the one in uh, Elle. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, I think it's, you know... Yeah, because uh, because uh, the, the character in Elle refuses to be a victim. Right. And uh, there, uh, clearly, uh, the, 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 the woman that's raped there in Showgirls is, is completely victimized. Mm -hmm. sure. yeah. yeah. And has no defense system, I mean, really. So, if, you know, to look at, we'll move on to the Dutch films next, but just to look at the, the Hollywood phase, um, I don't know if you ever saw them that way, but if you, you know, just, just with, 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 in hindsight and, and looking at them as, as a body of work, I think they're pretty amazing commentaries on American society, even if they were not always necessarily intended that way. I don't know if you, Showgirls and Starship Troopers may be the most obvious examples. But. Did you ever intend, did you ever think you were making comments on, on American culture, American society while you were working here? Here? Sure, yeah. But not in the beginning. In Robocop, I think, if, if there, are, there are, of course, could comments. could be read that way, yeah. Yeah, but then, really, to be honest, that came from the writers. I came from Holland and they presented me the script and I didn't even know exactly the politics. So I used a lot of the... Uh, cues they gave me, and that's, uh, let's say when I was doing Showgirls or Starship Troopers, I knew much more about what was happening here, and had much more studied uh, politics, the politics of the United States, interior, but also foreign, that um, then I think my comments of my, my uh, let's say, um, uh, different level that is in, Showgir in Showgirls and in Starship Troopers, uh, I brought, that was more consciously brought in by me. 
and, and it was of course came from the writer of uh, writers of these movies anyhow but I knew what I was talking about then when they were uh, let's say putting critical uh, uh, questions there critical remarks so um, so it's something that uh, that you of course but, uh, 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 but on the other hand, basically, if you say these uh, a movie like like Starship Troopers, um, it's not basically that we set out to do that. It really was as we were working. I remember that we were continuously laughing about our own ideas. You know, it was done in a very light-hearted way, not like we sit here and we go to criticize aspects of American life or whatever. That was not the idea at all. It it happened. It happened as we were working, and and, and it came out. And basically, but we never put it in, a, in, let's say, as a dogma or, 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 let's say, a revelation that has to be given to people. We were, were just pointing it out and had fun with it. I mean, don't, think, don't take it too seriously, you know. I mean, it, it was never, let's say, um, conceived in a, in a serious way, like we're going to do this and we go, this is our political statement, and etc. I hate that stuff anyhow, so basically, but if you do it and it comes in, I mean, like all the kids having weapons and asking for more bullets and whatever, that was basically, that came out, that came out when we were working and, and writing, and so, so uh, because it's, oh yeah, of course, yeah, that's true. I mean, of course, it's not true, really true, but it is saying something about what all Europeans, of course, are always a bit amazed about uh, the, the possibility to have uh, so many weapons, you know, so. Um, I did actually want to ask one more question about an American film, which is Hollow Man, uh, which is the last film that you made in Hollywood. And I'm, I'm wondering if that was for you like a, you know, an unsatisfying experience. I actually think the film is it's like it's it's a little overshadowed by your other American films, but I think it's kind yeah, of yeah because under, it has no soul and there is a base and I think it's about nothing. I mean, <laughs> 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 evidently. <laughs> but uh, no, I feel that uh, after the of course it had to do. With, uh, I I felt after doing the movie, not immediately because I, I was still interested in all the special effects and all that. But after m making the movie one or two years later, I really felt that this was what you would call a real studio movie, and that ha I had not been able to express myself in any mm -hmm. other way. You know that 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 I mean in in all these American movies. If you see the Dutch movies, that's all realistic. Um, all the movies that I, I made in, in Holland are based on biographies, autobiographies. And coming to the United States, I, I, I started in science fiction and did most of it uh, as science fiction. Uh, possibly, it was an, an intu intuitive choice because I didn't know enough about the United States. And when you do science fiction, you can make then basically you can say, okay. Uh, it's the future, you know, it will be that way. And, and uh, I, I think I protected myself against my non-knowledge of, of the United States by making science fiction. So um, I, I lost track of what I want to say, but... Uh, talking about, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about Hollow Man, but... Uh, oh, Hollow Man, well, yeah, sure, you're right. Um, so um, with Hollow Man, I had the feeling that I could not put my signature on it in any way. I, uh, originally the idea was, uh, what would you do 
if you would be invisible, which is a statement by Plato. And, and Plato says you would do the most horrifying things because you have, that's what his, his theory. And that, I want to make that movie. But then I found out, first of all, that because of, uh, let's say, um, uh, the, the rights to the Invisible Man, basically they were, I think, at Universal, uh, that making Hollow Man was, uh, uh, I, that we could nearly not leave the laboratory. I mean, because if we would go outside, we would be falling in, in on the, uh, the right situation of, invis of uh, the, the real Invisible Man, eh? the, the, the one that was uh, uh, the Universal movie. So that was restrained already. And top of that, uh, let's say, I wanted to go much further with what you would do, invisible. And the studio felt, of course, that it was too much. Or that, you, that, I, that should be more restrained and not to, to the extremity that I liked to do. And so um, I felt that I had in no way, at the end of the road, I felt that I had not uh, given this movie, uh, like I just said, a signature. And I felt that I should stop that and, I st and, and find something different and, and go into a different direction. And that's why I fell back on the script, the, uh, an idea that we had developed in the 80s in Holland, uh, which ultimately became the Black Book. Right. And, and uh, uh, so I jumped on that movie to forget about, um, you know, with Hollow Man, I, you could say, two big words probably, but that I lost my soul there and I found it back in Black Book. So I, I found again that I was doing something what I thought was important or interesting or whatever instead of the studio. I take it you haven't seen Hollow Man recently, but um, I, I watched it again recently and I, it's think, great. It, I think it's actually quite good. <laughs> It's, um, there's, some very good things, there's some very good things in it. Um, but uh, it's also, I think, uh, a real, like, it's a real Donald Trump era film. I think it's like, uh, if you think Starship Troopers anticipated Iraq, I think Hollow Man kind of anticipated All right. Trump. In well, I, I think so, uh, we, we foresaw Trump already with Starship yeah. Troopers. Huh? Yeah, yeah well, sure. <laughs> sure. But, uh, okay, let me just ask you to talk about your Dutch uh, phase a little bit. Um, there was also, you know, I understand why <clears throat> if with after Hollow Man and this, this, this um, wanting to reconnect with your roots with Black Book, but why did you leave Holland um, in the first place after, um, you know, a very successful run? Although the, I know there was some, Spetters was not an easy film for you with the response. No, Spetters was a bit of bash by the, by the press. It was like Showgirls, but of course, but it was a very successful movie. Yeah. Yeah. But and so was The Fourth Man? The first man was uh, that was a very cheap movie, yeah. basically. No, there was all, all these movies were uh, uh, some of them were absolutely uh, uh, very commercial. In fact, uh, especially uh, Turks Delight, but also Soldier Forens and others. But the more success you had in Holland at that time, there was a, a very left uh, a left wing, let's say, um, government and the committees that uh, in Holland and in Europe, all films are made with partially 50, 30, 40, 50, 60% of government money, isn't it? Otherwise there would not be any industry, film industry in the whole of Europe, I mean, so. I mean, and the, uh, the, these committees had becoming, uh, were extremely left-wing, 
in Holland at that time. I, I would call it fascist left. And, and so everything had to be in the direction of their dogmatic uh, ideas. And, and, and so they hated my movies. And it was impossible to get money of the government anymore because they refused, because they f felt that my movies were decadent and perverted and had no social agenda and there was really no, no depth in it and whatever. And so at a certain moment, they, I, I, couldn't make, I couldn't make movies anymore. And then there were continuously, uh, let's say, uh, request from the United States to come over, you know, please, uh, uh, you have to uh, leave your country behind because it's too small for you or something. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so that happened all and at a certain moment then Robocop came and especially, I mean, it's really my wife who pushed me because I was afraid to go there here. And uh, she said, okay, I'll take care of the kids and you, go to make the movie and we'll join you and uh, let's see if it works in the United States. I mean, in fact, she, uh, but that's well known, I think. I, I, when I read the Robocop script for the first time, I thought it was horrible. And then basically, so I, I, I threw it away and, uh, and then she read it and uh, she said, I think you make a mistake, you should read it again. So I, I think uh, I was very lucky, you know, in both cases that basically that I reread Robocop and that I came to the United States because I feel that the movies I made here I could never have made in, in Europe at all, of course. And I mean, I said, I'm, it's sad that I have for 14 years not made a movie in the United, in the United States. I would love to. When you read the Robocop script, <clears throat> did it strike you at the time already as having sort of parallels with the Jesus story? Or was that something that you added? I, I certainly was not in the script, no. no. But I, I, yeah, I felt, I felt from the beginning, I think I, I took the script ultimately when I had, after rereading it then, um, I took it because of this, of, of the biblical implications, in fact, I should say. Uh, uh, especially the scene, for example, when he goes to his house and gets these flashes about, about, uh, about another life. Huh? That for me was the, the, uh, really um, lost paradise, in fact. Huh? His family, his child and whatever, that he gets these flashes. And, and, and on the other hand, I felt that when Murphy in the beginning basically is killed, um, I had a feeling that, and then resurrected. Of course, it is a, met it is a metaphor there. You know, of course, he gets really um, yeah, killed in in the most horrible way, especially in the in the original version, and um, which is like a crucifixion. And then basically, and then then he's resurrected, and he's another person, isn't it? Even if you look uh, precisely in the, in the Bible, if you know the New Testament or sometimes read it, then you will f see that Jesus basically after his death, when he's basically um, resurrected, uh, doesn't say anything anymore, in fact. Very simple words. Give me some food or give me a fish or how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Robocop, huh? <laughs> he's programmed. <clears throat> so. I, uh, there, there were the, all these, I mean, I, I, 
I, I put it in a, in a light way, but there were really all these things that I felt basically with my interest in Jesus. I always, I, I, I'm not Christian, so that you know, I'm not a Christian, but um, but I have this uh, interest, and that came into the movie in an in an. Yeah, very organic way. It just came in, and I I used it because I felt these things uh, that are part of this wonderful mythology, of course, of uh, of Christ that uh, is called Christianity. I'm curious about your uh, in your formative years, your cinematic influences in terms of the great cinematic masters, and in particular, I'm interested in your opinion of someone who I would consider stylistically the polar opposite of you, Robert Bresson. Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's not an influence, no. <laughs> oh, although Haneke is. I'm a big fan of Haneke. I would never be able to do that, you know. But um, I think I'm mostly influenced. I think in the, um, in the years that you can, that you are, that that's still possible to to um, accept other people um, by uh, by Hitchcock for sure, which is very clear in Basic Instinct. And all all along the way, I still study uh, Hitchcock. I think it's from a visual point of view, it's extremely uh, close to me. Then, of, then there is uh, uh, Fellini because of all the camera moves, and I think this probably Buñuel because of the thematic material and, and the way that he. I mean, if you see um, L, then you would uh, realize that uh, the closest movie to L that has been made would probably be Belle de Jour, which is a Buñuel's movie. Um, so um, these are the influences, I think. Of course, there, there was a, a strong influence of, of, uh, of the Nouvelle Vague in the, when I was in my 20s. And I still think that there is a movie of, uh, of Truffaut, Julien Jim, that is still absolutely marvelous. But um, it, when I uh, realized that uh, I was seven when the war, uh, uh, we were occupied in Holland by the Germans, and um, direct in 1945 when we were liberated um, by, the, by the Allies, uh, then we got all these American movies that had not been there for five, six years, isn't it? So I was inundated as seven, eight years old kid with American movies. I mean, I uh, be. Uh, uh, everything, all the all the westerns, also the early science fiction, but also uh, Lauren Hardy and uh, Abbott and Costello and stuff. That's that probably influenced me in a completely different way. That basically that I might have used when I came to the United States, uh, without really thinking about that. I'm sure that my uh, let's say being overwhelmed in these years after the war. Uh, by it, I, I think I went three times a week to, to, to see American movies. So I'm sure that ultimately when I came here, that I could, there was some basis there, you know, uh, that uh, I, I mean, 
when I was, as I said, when I was in my twenties, that was wiped away because suddenly it was the nouvelle vague, eh? the new wave, the French. So I, I forgot about uh, I forgot about um, the American movies, but then they dis disappeared and then they came back. Yeah. Um, but person, I, I appreciate the movies, but I, I no no. I saw your last film, L, three times, but probably I didn't get it <laughs> yet. But uh, uh, my question is about uh, this whole concept. Is this film about European history? Her father is the past, uh, she is the present, and her son is the future. And uh, anyway, I have a second question. Uh, what do you think about European future in general? Uh, how do you see it? Uh, a European uh, Well, I guess you're talking about L, right? Is L about European history, and what do you think is the future of Europe? Big question. Well, let's talk first about the future of the United States, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's the most scary thing in the world, I think. <laughs> and I think Europe, is based, uh, Europe will follow uh, the United States, I think. So, um, so that we might hope that things go the right way, you know. But. Um, I think, yeah, I think, th of course, there's a very important things in Europe, and, and uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, it is a secondary power, yeah, sure. It's not uh, dictating much anymore, isn't it, while the United States or Russia or China do. So it's a continent that have, um, has a loss, lot of, of to offer, but it's, it's, it's a lot of the past that they offer. Well, uh, that's what I feel, you know, the, the dynamics are a bit gone, yeah. Hi, so um, I was really interested in the story of you looking at Robocop the first time and then saying no and throwing it in the trash. And then the second time, you're like, I have to make this and I have to go to the United States. What about that second time? What did you catch on that second time reading the script that you didn't catch the first time around that made you say yes? I think the, uh, probably the elements that I was pointing out, that there was some depth to all these things that uh, first view looked like action, action, bang, 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 shoot, 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 you know? And then I started to see the metaphors of the, of, of the, of the crucifixion and the resurrection and then the, 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 the paradise lost. And these were, the, uh, the, it was really the scene, the scene basically that made me say yes to the movie was really the scene where Robocop comes in, uh, in, into his old, house and then gets these flashes of a past that he doesn't even know about anymore that's not him anymore but still there and that was when I read that scene then I basically called uh, let's say Mike Medavoy of, uh, of uh, Orion and say I I'll do it so it was that that was really what made me the, the transcendence of of the whole movie but expressed in, in, in very specific scenes, not all the time, of course. But that was the reason that I thought there's something uh, there that is just different, that has, has a, a layer that I have never been able to touch in, 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 in Europe, but that basically is close to me and that I feel as, as, as important to the human race. The question here was, does Verhoeven think anyone else besides Meryl Streep could play the lead role in L? If Meryl could do it, we don't know, of course. I mean, if, she, if, she, if she would like to do it, it's another case, isn't it? But um, no, you're right. 
I think, and in my opinion, I would even say, Isabelle Huppert is the only person in the world that could have done this, yeah? But of course, you don't know, you have to do it uh, to find out. But I think it would have been very, it would have been very difficult to find somebody else. And that, uh, of course, there are certain people uh, like Meryl Streep that would absolutely be able to do it. If they, if they would have liked to do it, might have been different, yeah. Um, Isabelle really, don't forget that Isabelle Huppert was with this movie long before I was there. Isabelle Huppert had read the book and had already called the writer of the book, Philippe Dijon, and the producer, Said Ben Said, uh, to say that she wanted to do that movie. And then basically they even, she had even discussed with Said that I might be the director. But then we, Said and I, in our arrogance perhaps, thought that we should make it to an American movie. And so we tried. And then we had to come back after three months or so, or so to Isabel and say, sorry Isabel, we do, you still want to do it. <laughs> and, and she is tot uh, totally audacious. She basically, so I, we knew that she had no problems with the material at all. And basically, uh, which was very different than what happened uh, here in the United, in the United States. Yeah. But we, uh, true, we didn't give it to, uh, to Meryl Streep. <laughs> we gave it to, uh, I, I won't n name the names, basically, but, uh, but uh, we gave it really to six or seven uh, American actresses of uh, what you would call A-level, yeah. I loved Elle. I loved how it blended uh, comedy and drama and how you described the RoboCop and Total Recall sequels as lacking that sort of irony that was in their predecessors. You've said before that you uh, think Hollywood doesn't have enough interesting scripts right now. What would you say is the missing element? Is it that light touch or is it something bigger? No, the light touch is something that I like. But you can, of course, there, there are still interesting movies in the United States. You know, I, I, I think, for example, uh, The Big Short is was a really good movie. Should have had a, uh, won the Oscar, I think. So, it, of course, but, but there's a very special group that makes this, these kind of movies. Eh? The, the, the director has a, a group around him, Ingmar Bergman. Uh, way. So, of course, there are still good scripts, but apparently they didn't come to me. <laughs> but if Woody Allen would write the script for me, then I would immediately do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Verhoeven, uh, you've worked with the late, great Jerry Goldsmith on a number of your uh, films, and even on the, ba the Basic Instinct commentary, you mentioned some of the incidental music that's used also to tell the story. I was wondering how immersed are you in the uh, music supervision and picking the, the songs in your film uh, now, uh, especially, but even back then, if you could talk about that. Did I, I miss how, how immersed are you in the music, yeah. the choosing of your film, the, the music? M music? Well, I think music, you're talking about music. Yeah, okay, yeah, I missed that in the beginning, sorry. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I, I feel that music is extremely important. And I try to work with composers that I, that if I find a composer that I like, yeah, 
then I try to work with him as much as possible. And so in the United States, I worked really with two composers, which is Bessel Polidurus and Jerry Goldsmith. And they both ultimately uh, died. And uh, that's when I started to look at an, an other composer, and I found an uh, English composer, uh, uh, a woman, and Dudley, who did Black Book and, and um, L. But for me, I think what can happen with a good composer is that you, when you put a score under the film, that the whole film goes up. It's like it gets a level. If the music works, then the film gets 30, 40% better. I mean, if you look at, the, for example, if you hear the music from Lawrence of Arabia, I mean, they can imagine if you would, if that music would not have been there. That would have made such a difference. And I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of whatever kind of music, and it be classical or, 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 or more nowadays, uh, let's say rock and roll or, or whatever. Um, and I use it all the time. And I think it's one of the most important elements of, 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 of my movies, because I feel that with the music, I can make everything better. So, um, for me, music is uh, the, the soundtrack, but certainly the mus musical soundtrack is of utmost importance. So, uh, was that, uh, did I answer the question? Yes, you did. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. I think we can take a couple more. Yes, back there. And we'll go there first and then. <coughs> Thank you. I'm so pleased you're here. I almost don't have a question, but I do, and we're kind of on the subject anyway. Could you talk a little bit about your planned film on the life of Jesus uh, and what has happened or maybe is still happening with that? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. <laughs> that would take an hour or so. <laughs> but um, I wrote a book about Jesus, huh? And it's translated in English, so you can buy it. <laughs> and that's a little bit what I would like to do. I have been trying now th with three different scriptwriters. I have been trying to write an outline. I mean, um, and till now I have failed. I feel that every time the three different writers, not simultaneously, one after the other, over over many years. And I have still not found a solution to my own book. But of course, the, the, the Jesus that I, um, that I describe in the book is, of course, is, um, is a human being. So it would be about a man. It would be Jesus the man, not Jesus the son of God or this or that. It would be Jesus the man. And um, so I would, if you read the book, you will understand that. But um, it has been, let's say, uh, um, very difficult. Perhaps I'm too close to the book or whatever, you know, and that I, uh, and that, or I have the feeling that the, the writers that I approached, and they all three are very good, um, are in awe of the book because it goes so much into a different direction than normal, isn't it? That, that they think this is exactly what he wants. And of course, I want something else. I want somebody that uses the book, but also thinks, but now I'm going to write the script. 
Yeah, instead of Paul wants this. So uh, that I cannot explain why it didn't work, but I'm still working on it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Have there been any other films about Jesus that come close to what you would like to do? Sure. Um, the Life of Brian, for example. <laughs> it's probably the best one. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm very, I have a lot of respect of a movie that uh, Pasolini did, uh, which is the, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I mean, it, 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 it doesn't, I mean, it takes a, a it really tells the story of of the Gospel of Matthew, and and uh, Pasolini, of course, was an atheist and uh, and Marxist, and and but he st but when they asked him how could you do that, basically, he said, well, you know, it's a great story, and uh, and then he, he then he used then he he used his Marxist uh, agenda to put it over Jesus. So I think uh, the, the, uh, the, this, this movie of Pasolini is, is already very, very strong Jesus, very, very powerful, very, let's say, violent even. So, I mean, I think he touched something really great, uh, Pasolini there, but, um, but, I, but it's still the, 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 uh, the, the, the real gospel, isn't it? So, uh, I mean, Jesus is resurrected and all that stuff, yeah. I mean, I didn't. That didn't happen, unfortunately. I think. <laughs> we can take a final question. Was there something over here? Do you think that American directors should go to Europe to make movies if they can't get movies made here? Like John Waters, for instance, had a retrospective at Lincoln Center a year or two ago, and he was talking about how he just cannot get funding for movies uh, by American studios. They just will not give him enough to make the movies he wants to make. It's not that I, in fact, I have never been a, a director that wants to make a movie that is mine. And especially in, in I always make movies ab about things that were anyhow there. And the, in the, when I was in the United States, I never, all, I had many plans about movies and, and they never came to fruition. So I decided uh, that uh, it was better to uh, concentrate on the films that basically that uh, the scripts that I liked, although it was not my idea to 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 uh, to, do, to do that movie. I didn't want to do. I, d I had no idea to do. Uh, let's say Robocop. It was the script came to me, and I thought, okay, yeah. Uh, after after advice of my wife, of course, I thought, okay, I can do that. Yeah, that is interesting. And it was was all the movies like that. My whole life. I think I made movies because somebody came with an idea. I liked the idea. It just was my choice to. The choice was important, but it's not that I tried ever to express myself like what you, what French call an auteur. I mean, I'm, I'm not Dostoevsky or something like that in, in film. I, I really have always based myself on things that were um, already existent. So I think. Um, it, for me, it doesn't matter if it's in the United States or Europe or France, you know, as long as, I've, as somebody gives me a script or a book that I like and that I can be enthusiastic about, and then basically uh, I'll, I'll do it. We're going to wrap it up, but I want to encourage people to try to come to L the next few days and also for our retrospective uh, next month. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for being here.
The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>